0: Hey everybody, it's Christina Karamo and welcome to It's Solid Food, unity. We hear so much talk about unity and how we need to achieve and strive for unity. Um, the calls for unity in America are, to me are really silly and kind of stupid and they're very naive. Why? Why do I say they're silly and stupid and naive? Because there isn't going to be unity. You have various factions of people with a radically different perspective of how society should be and how things are to be done. And when one group and another group and another group have all decided they have radically different perspectives of what they want the world to look like, what are we going to unify under? How are we going to unify what we should be searching for in society is cooperation. The only time we can ever achieve unity is we'll be with Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to talk about. I'm Christina Caramel, and now it's time for some solid food. with Solid Food, where we discuss all things in Christian apologetics, culture, and politics. So as I was saying in the introduction, we hear so many calls for unity. And people will say things like, it doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter what your religious beliefs are. It doesn't matter what your political affiliation are. We have got to get unity. We all need to unify. But the problem becomes when you have one group of people who is sat on demonizing people who simply don't agree with them? Now there are there are different there are definitely gradi- gradations to this. There are definitely some absolutes. If you and the worst person you could think about is a child molester. I mean, hands down, right? So can I unify with a child molester? No, there's going to be no unity there. Can I cooperate in society with a child molester? Well, it depends. Why? Because if this person is in jail, then they're cooperating with society. I mean, but we don't really give them an option whether or not they're going to cooperate. This is the way we work, okay? So there are um, levels or there is a, a, um, a baseline. We do have to have some kind of cooperation and unity in some regard to function as society. But what is the unifying force? And then, where does when does it fall over from unity to cooperation to the point where we can't just we, we, this is not going to work, and that's what we're going to kind of go over. So let me first say this in unity as a Christian. Oftentimes, we see people trying to appeal to a Christian ethic. Oh, God wants unity. Jesus wants unity. Let me turn to Scripture to to kind of this is several scriptures that talk about unity, but there are several that I want to point to first and to me really help us understand when God calls for unity. What he actually means. See, the humanist, the secular humanist call for unity is everybody supports everything. And if you don't support everything, that means you are an enemy to us. That's what they want. That's their version of unity. It's really submission to the secular humanist view that all things are permissible except for criticizing what you think shouldn't be permissible. But it's really a self-refuting ideology because they criticize people who don't buy into their worldview. So it's absolute crap. Truth doesn't self-refute. But nevertheless, in Scripture, when you think of Psalms 133, 1, how good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity? So when you read Scripture and God is talking about unity or the various authors are writing about unions, remember the the God inspired these people to write what they wrote. Um, and when we think of biblical inspiration, it doesn't mean that it was a like kind of a, uh, like a, a, a tickling fancy. Like, oh, I got this novel idea that God is kind of, oh, he inspired me to think. No, he gave them what he wanted them to write. So biblical inspiration means the humans were actually vessels that the Holy Spirit used to write things down. Um, that's why oftentimes even though in scripture you'll know that's my like Paul or or David or Solomon wrote something or Moses wrote something we'll say God said even though the person authored it the the person was the human writer shall we say ultimately the Holy Spirit is the real author of scripture but that gets into something else but I just thought I would mention that so as you see through scripture that God's definition of unity which Everything he defines is far superior to ours and ultimately the source of all truth. His definition of unity is being united under him, not uniting with the things that are ungodly and uniting with people who want to rebel against God. There, there, there's no unity. Now we can achieve maybe cooperation and we might be can unify in some regards like you're seeing right now with the push to put biological men and women's sports, you're seeing a lot of the feminists are uniting with a lot of conservative women because we're like no you can't do that. Now, some of the reasoning might be slightly different, but the overarching theme of you know men are not women, You're putting on a costume, cutting your penis off, putting on fake breasts, that don't make you a woman. You're still a man. And there are certain inherent uniqueness you there's certain inherent things that are unique to women. And when we began to put men in these female only spaces. It brings harm to women, and especially when, when you think of as athletics. I mean, it's just a no-brainer. You have the ACLU coming out saying, "Oh, there's no, there, there's no, um, there's no difference, and the men don't have a, a biological significant advantage over women in athletics." I mean, these people are so committed to their worldview that they're willing to engage in obvious lies. Now, don't want to get off into that, but that's just an example of where women who are of very different worldviews are coming together and they're unifying under a common cause. So it's not that we can't ever unify in situationally with people that both the difference is there's a difference between unifying with people situationally and then unifying with people just in a general principle sense. The two completely different things. So act 432, all the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions that were their own But they shared everything they had. And I'm glad this one, I want to use this one specifically for a couple of reasons. A lot of Christians who, people who profess the name of Christ, but support communism and socialism, will try to point to the scripture as a justification for their support of Marxism. I use the terms Marxism, communism, socialism interchangeably, but they're really one and the same. They're really one and the same. They are. They're, They're the same ideology where the government controls and owns everything and decides who gets what. Now, people who point to this as a justification for socialism or communism or Marxism are extremely foolhardy in their analysis. Because for one, we are to unify under Christ Jesus and the Holy Spirit prompts me what to give, what to not, what to keep, because um, I believe it was Ananias. Who lied and when he like sold his property and, and presented some to the church as though he had sold everything and was giving them all he had, and then he died because he was lying to the Holy Spirit. Again, this is a is a, is a something that the Holy Spirit. This is an agreement or th- not an agreement. This is something the Holy Spirit prompts me to do. Not Bernie Sanders, not Kamala Harris, not Joe Biden, not Nancy Pelosi, not Gretchen Whitmer. They're not God. These are politicians who take our tax dollars, pocket some for themselves, give some to their buddies, and then dole out peanuts to the rest of the public. That is not the same as the Holy Spirit prompting a group of people to sell their goods and split the the, the profits amongst themselves and share everything in a communal manner. That's different. See, this whole... Thing that everyone has absolute unity and allegiance to the state—that doesn't happen. The only thing we have absolute allegiance to is God. So, if the Holy Spirit, even though in Acts four thirty-two we see a Acts four we see a communal way of living, but the head of that is the Holy Spirit, not Joe Biden, not Kamala Harris. <laughs> so, please stop taking this scripture out of context to justify me having my goods confiscated by the federal government. You know what I mean? I was talking to a buddy of mine earlier today who was saying like that they had sold something and the government took like a third, like 30%. That's not what scripture is talking about. Now, if if the Holy Spirit put it on this person's heart, I want you to give 30% to this charity, then you do it in obedience to the Holy Spirit, not obedience to the IRS, not obedience to the Federal Reserve. Not obedience to Nancy Pelosi's next pet, pot, pet pet project. Those are completely different things. Thought I would just throw that out there. So please stop. Please stop trying to point to this as an example or a justification. Communism and socialism. Because that's not what's going on. Because these worldviews ultimately want to eliminate Christianity. So how can you posit or point to a worldview that's rooted in anti-Christ rhetoric and belief? And think you're gonna build something God has happy about. Makes no sense. Makes no sense. I digress. So back to the topic of unity of Galatians 3:26, 28. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So you see in the biblical model again that unity is presupposed to have, is, is, is predicated, should I say more so, that unity is predicated on submission to God. So if the unity that you're calling for is not predicated on submission to God, then it is a faux unity that will fall apart in the heartbeat. All unity must be predicated on submission to God. Ephesians 4:11 through 33. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature Attaining to the whole measures of the fullness of Christ. So again, as you can and I can go to more and more scriptures that we're unifying in Christ Jesus. We are not to be unifying with the things that are ungodly. Notice how the Bible says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. That's what it's talking about. So you cannot unify people with people who reject God. And, and the modern, the modern, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the modern representations we see of Jesus is it's like this little skinny, weak man who just came to preach about everybody needs to hug each other and be friends. No, no. No, Jesus called people out on a regular. In fact, Jesus says he came to defi- divide. Now, if you talk to the modern person, this concept of Jesus being a divider it seems crazy because the, the meek and loving Jesus' is the perception is, is again, predicated on a humanist view, not on a godly understanding of loving people. Jesus came and died for our sins. So he showed us he loved us, Right. But in the secular humanist view of love means indulgence, means giving people whatever they want. Let's look at Luke 12, 49 through 56. I have come to set the world on fire and I wish it were burning. I have a terrible baptism of suffering ahead of me and I'm under a heavy burden until it's accomplished. Jesus talking about his sacrifice. Do you think I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come to divide people against each other. From now on, families will be split apart. Three in favor of me and two against, or two in favor and three against. Father will be divided against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. The mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Then Jesus turned to the crowd and said, when you see the clouds beginning to form in the west, you say, here comes a shower. And you're right. When you, when the south wind blows, you say, today will be a scorcher. And it is. You fools. You know how to interpret the weather signs of the earth and sky, but you do not know how to interpret the present times. So, you know, he was telling them that, you know, the prophecies have been fulfilled. Not all of them, but the prophecies concerning his coming and his resurrection I mean, death and resurrection are some have been fulfilled at this point and more are being going to be fulfilled. But what's important is his his saying that he's come to divide. In Matthew 12, 30, Jesus says, whoever is not with me is against me. Whoever does not gather with me scatters. So it's quite clear that Jesus came. (laughs) Jesus is saying, I'm separating what's mine from what's Satan's. So there is no unity in the secular humanist view. It doesn't exist because the people who are calling the loudest for unity are the most intolerant people. And they are saying unity can only be achieved with complete submission to us. We as Christians are saying unity can only be achieved with complete submission to God, not to me. You ain't got no business submitting to anything Christina said. You submit to the Holy Spirit. I'm just here to give a message. Sometimes I'm going to fall short. Sometimes I'm going to misspeak. That is why you have a relationship with God. (laughs) You spend time in the word of God. You spend time in prayer. You spend time in Bible study. You spend time talking to God. And then sometimes you fellowship with believers to be encouraged, to maybe clarify things, and to do life together with. But you do not submit to a person. Where the secular humanists, their view of unity is complete submission to them. Because anytime... See, the reason why they thrive on collectivist thinking is because the only way you're going to have people operating in unity is if they all think alike. As long as you have individual thought, then you're going to have division and splinters because people are going to have different motives. Whereas if one is in complete submission to God, you're going to have unity because our motives are always intended on glorifying in God and being ambassadors to Christ and then even when God has us doing different things it's all for the same purpose It's for the same body because you notice in scripture it talks about you know the head and the in and the and the foot and and this part and that they're all part of the same body but they serve a different purpose but they're part of the same body where with the second so God has a perfect understanding a perfect knowledge a perfect plan where the secular humanists, everything is filtered through the wicked human heart and their own false religion. Because it's, it's this is a religion for them. And so with that being said, you know, it's what we should be striving for is cooperation. But it's very hard to cooperate with these types of people. Because their worldview is, see, the thing that should Americans should rally around is the Constitution. Because in order to achieve even cooperation, you still have to have a set of understandings that you all can lean to. It can be the objective measuring stick for whether or not you are cooperating with one another. You see what I mean? See, one of the things... When Paul talks about using scripture as the freedom in Christ, freedom in Christ doesn't mean freedom to do whatever I want. Freedom in Christ means I'm free from the bounds of my sinful nature in the sense that I've devoted myself to God and I have freedom in him and I'm free to live in joy and peace. I'm free from the cares of this world. I'm free that if I stumble, I don't worry that God has rejected me and doesn't love me anymore. It's not a freedom to rebel. We have to have a free society, but the free society, it has to begin with submission to God where individuals are self-regulated. Okay, but the secular humanist view is that we have a free-for-all. And so then when the free-for-all brings all these consequences, non-secular humanist wants to go about ways to achieve some better outcome when in reality the the root of all problems in our society is hearts without God that's the ultimate issue of all problems and if if you're not coming with that starting point you're ultimately going to create some vain human ideology and so a perfect example of this is (laughs) this is so funny to me so I was saw this earlier today I'm gonna bring up this tweet on the screen here and so this tweet on the screen here is from, and I and I, let me say this: I'm not looking to pick on this woman. I am not saying she's a bad person, and I don't, and I, I just really want to say that because you know some people, I feel like, you know, some people like AOC, she's just a jerk. I mean, I, I you know, the woman's just a jerk and a liar. I, I don't know anything about this other woman, Brie Newsom, so I'm not looking to to malign or make fun or mock this woman because I think it's very sad that many people have bought into this vain ideology. Um, This this we call leftism or secular humanism and because even though many of these people will be professing Christians many of these people will be professing Christians but it still is a secularist type of redemption and salvation that they have attached to this justice movement and it's really unfortunate because they've perverted what is God's perfect justice for uh, justice that's really redistribution of wealth. They're saying that the way we have a peaceful society is by redistributing wealth. But yet who decides who gets what? Who decides the redistribution? It's still another person. So then it's ultimately problematic. But if the Holy Spirit prompts us what to have, what not to have, what to give, what to do, then it's in line with the perfect will of God. Because you have some people who maybe God doesn't want the person to have a lot of money because the person may destroy themselves. Maybe God has a different plan for that person. Maybe there's another person over here that has hundreds of millions of dollars, right? But every year they're giving away a third of that $100 million to to help feeding the needy, helping do this, building up ministries, building up Christian businesses. You do not know what God has for that person. That's why we have to submit ourselves to the perfect will of God for our lives, instead of looking to what the world standard is that, well, this guy has the yacht. How come I don't have a yacht? It's not fair. Uh, this person has this. and I don't have this. That's not fair. You know, why can't I do this? And oftentimes, too, with this whole justice, quote unquote, movement is it's not looking at the responsibility that the individual plays because it believes that evil is based out of inequality, that imbalances in power is what predicates evil. When we as Christians know the problem is the wicked human heart. So they create this false theology. They create a false religion that actually leads to more horror than any good. That's why communism is so deadly. Because it requires violence. Marx, Karl, Marx, Karl Marx's books require violence. Read, read his writings. So anyways, again, I don't want to pick on this woman and I think it's important because God is, is working on me to be a lot more compassionate against these, not against, but towards these people who have radically different opinions, who I think are just one walking absurd machine. He is putting on my heart to not see them like that, to see that these are human beings made in his image who are confused because of these idols they have built up. She says, there's enormous amount of racial undertones to this entire convo about Brady being the best athlete of all time. Wait a minute. What are the racial undertones? The man has won a ton of Super Bowls. He's like 43 years old. It won with a new team that he just started with this year. Then it goes on to say, it's uh, about Brady being the best athlete of all time in a way that willfully ignores black athletes past and present as well as the ongoing systemic discrimination against black athletes in a QB position. No, let me tell you something, lady, and I don't mean to be just mean to her or other people, a lot of these, just, these social justice warriors, they are some of the most miserable people that you ever want to meet. They will find any way to contort any conversation that includes racism discussion. And if we aren't constantly walking around in this constant mourning over racism. If I'm not walking all around in a constant mourning over racial disparages or racial issues, I mean, they want us completely just fixated. Whereas the point is coming out your eyeballs. You can't even eat a sandwich. You can eat a sandwich, and these people will find a way to make sandwich eating racist. I mean, it's just completely ridiculous. But it's this vain ideology that they have created where they get their salvation, they get their goodness, so they obsess over it. There's a point that you would take the most innocent of situations where we can't even be happy for a man who happens to be white. Because if we show any type of happiness for this man who happens to be white, we are somehow dishonoring black people. How? Why does black existence constantly have to be juxtaposed against white people? To me, I have a massive problem with that. Why does black existence have to constantly be juxtaposed against white people? Why can't we just be happy for this man and that be the end of it? Why do somehow race has to factor into the conversation? It's because these people identity is not rooted in Christ. It's rooted in their blackness. And since oftentimes when we talk about blackness, it's always talked about in the concept of pain, trauma and struggle. That you see yourself nothing else more than just this painful piece, piece of sadness. And that's one of the reasons why not to get too off topic. And why I have a big issue with a lot of the Black History Month celebrations. Because it's always rooted in discussing how these people overcame racism. Yes, that is a part of our story. But that isn't our story. That isn't the totality of who we are as a people. You know, first and foremost, your identity is to be rooted in the fact that you're made in the likeness and image of God. And even when we see other people as such, even when we have issues with a particular individual, we'll first see the unregenerate heart before we see the category which the person belongs to. But as, as far as being a black person goes, I am tired. And I and I remember um, um, when I was uh, I, I was um, it was a teacher. Um, I was it, it was the kids asked her about black history. And she started off with like 1619. And I'm thinking to myself like, so that's the, that's the beginning of, of our story? I mean, I understand the concept of the black American people. But, but my point is, is that it's just blackness is rooted in trauma and pain. And since these people just want to stay in a constant state of trauma and pain, they want everybody else to stay in a constant sense of trauma and pain because this is how they feel good. This is where they get their salvation. This is where they get their righteousness from. You think I'm making it up? Look at this whole anti-racism movement. Now, here's the thing about it is I've said this to people before and, and people need to take I, I shouldn't say people need to take me more seriously. Cause that sounds really arrogant and it sounds as though I'm saying as though I know everything and I have the answers and listen to Christina to get the truth. No, no. I just think that sometimes I, I have a tendency to look at things from a 10,000 foot view. And that can sometimes be a problem because sometimes I'll miss the details, but I'm very much a big picture thinker. And so I've been telling people for a long time, the obsession with racism and white supremacy has nothing to do with white people, has nothing to do with racism. It's about pushing communism because the way they, the solutions, if you really want to know what someone's agenda is, listen to the solutions. Notice these leftists, no matter what problem we talk about, they use the same terminology and they have the same solutions, which all boil down to redistribution of power which is anti-biblical because the problem in society is not a redistribution of power. I mean, a power imbalance. The problem is it's unregenerate human hearts. Because if I am queen of America, if I am sold out radically for Jesus Christ, yes, I have more power than the lady living in the homeless shelter. But guess what? I'm going to see how I can uplift that woman. I'm going to love her. I'm going to treat her with kindness and respect. And I'm not going to see myself above her. Yes, I may have more status. Yes, I may have more money. But I don't see myself any better than her. And I'm going to find a way to be of service to that woman. Even though I am queen of America. But if I have an unregenerate heart, I might be nice to her. I might kick her to the side and see her as human trash. The problem is unregenerate hearts. But the way these people see it is that there are these categories what they consider like with like the whole thing with intersectionality. So you're born with these certain characteristics and they necessarily dictate how you're going to see the world interact unless you've been deprogrammed according to their ideology. So even as a black woman, even though I am a constitutional conservative, they still see me as a supporter of white supremacy because I don't buy into their worldview. So you don't have to be white you can be a black racist if you don't buy into their worldview. So they're constantly shifting the definition. They're constantly shifting the goalposts. And so when they started with their obsession over racism, you saw mostly white people, the people who were complaining about it were mostly white people. But I've been telling people for some time, even though their anti-racism rhetoric isn't necessarily rooted at me as a black woman per se, you would think that according to their view, I might like it because they seek to give me some unmerited power on the strength of me being a black woman and a part of me, according to them, being a, and part of a historically marginalized class in America. Therefore, why do I have a problem? Because the reason why I have a problem with their view is because it's not just about race. It's about mainly ideology. And if you don't buy into their ideology and their solutions, then you are part of a white supremacist system. So even though I'm a black woman, I don't agree with their worldview. Therefore, I am still a white supremacist, even though I'm black. It's it's crazy. Let me read this um really quick. Um, being not racist does not receive, and this is from, let me see, the organization, National League of Cities. Okay, and I and they um I've, uh, this is interesting about anti-racism. So this is really important because this is one of the ways they're pushing communism because it always has to deal with the, you'll see why when I say it's all has to do with redistribution of power, which means redistribution of resources. But again, who determines who gets what? That's, that's the million dollar question. And how do you make that determination? And how, I mean, why is that better than letting individuals than the government? Because you see, my belief is the government's role is simply to protect our rights. Not to give them. Rights come from God. The job of the government is to ensure that people don't violate other people's rights. That's it. So, it says, anti-racism is also a system. A system in which we create policies, practices, and procedures to promote racial equality. Anti-see, racial equity. Excuse me, I even misspoke myself. Oh, I'm glad I did that. Because there's a difference between equality and equity. See, equality means you have shared an equal opportunity. Equity is about guaranteeing outcomes. So they want to guarantee an outcome, but that doesn't deal with individual choice because you can take two people and if they make radically different decisions, you can't say that this one person's life is a direct result of oppression without looking at any of the choices said person made. Anti-racism, let me read it. Anti-racism generates anti-racist thoughts and ideas to justify the racial equity it creates by uplifting in the innate humanity and individuality of black, indigenous, and people of color. Now, here's the thing. Of course, I'm, I'm a black. I mean, even the concept of black, I mean, I'm brown and I'm a mutt, but I digress from that. But the point I'm making is this. Everybody wants a equal equity in society, but how is that equity manufactured? That's the problem. As long as you have free will, then you're going. Not, you're not going to have equity because people have the right to choose the life path that they want. So you can't guarantee outcome unless you rob people of their freedoms. That's it. And it also goes on to say, anti-racism recognizes there will be no traits inherent within a racial group solely because of the color of their skin. Anti-racism forces, uh, forces us to analyze the role that institutions and systems play in racial inequalities. So they believe that racism is institutional. It's not just the interpersonal type of thing. So racial inequalities we see rather than assign and blame to entire racial groups and their behavior differences for these inequalities. So they believe that pointing out to behavior and saying, well, the reason why we have disparages in the black community or in, in is because of behavior they feel that that isn't fair that isn't a fair thing and i've said this before in a, in a podcast uh, not because i was on an interview about when we were talking about racism politics so the only thing the, the legacy of racism because whenever you have a, a group of people who've been disenfranchised by the federal government for especially for a significant amount of time i mean we people talk about slavery forget slavery think about jim crow I mean, that was my, my grandparents. The three of my four grandparents have a story of escaping north or coming north to flee from racial violence. And the one grandparent who doesn't have that in their story looks practically European. OK, so, of course, that's going to have some impact on a group of people. And duh, that's common sense. But, the, the, but But moving forward, we cannot have this kind of punitive view of how to deal with these issues. But you can't. You you do look at how um, group behavior impacts something. You can't ignore group behavior. You you can't you can't ignore group behavior. And the reason why is not because there's an inadequacy in the DNA of the people. It has to do with socialization. So how a group of people are socialized directly impacts their outcome in life. So instead of analyzing how racism historically played into some of the social dynamics that lead to some of these issues, we rather say, Oh no, it's completely outside force. It's completely power imbalances. And that's it in the story. And if you say anything else, it's because you're racist, but you can look at other groups of people where you see poverty and you can see the same patterns of behavior happening. That's, that's, that's nothing wrong with that. That's just dealing with human beings. That's just human beings. But the white, being you no know, white, the black people are to me one of the they're the only ethnic group who's studied in such a way as a unit. We're individuals. We're groups of individuals. And that goes for all people. But what the anti-racism does, it doesn't look at it like that. They just see this group, this number, we don't like this number, so therefore it must be an external factor because all these people aren't crazy. It's not that all these people aren't crazy, it's that a disproportionate number of these group of people have been socialized in a manner that overlapped with the downflow of actual external racial threats then you had the overlap of to me which was this hedonistic culture that impacted all of America but when you have a group of people who already are dealing with a lot of pathologies born out of racial trauma then they never really can fix those issues that have been born in that community because now you have this onslaught of secular humanism that's really been coming for everybody. Not like really, it has been coming for everybody. But the, the people who do the anti-racism work, they don't want to look at those nuances. They just want to keep going racism, 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 because for so long that has been the biggest the black community's biggest problem, so they want to keep that going. But the whole focus on the whole racism thing is really to bring in another set of solutions that deal with redistribution of resources. So go on. So um, he goes on to say, when as individuals we contribute to racism and racial inequalities, we are racist. To me, that is extremely critical. When it says, when we as individuals, when as individuals we contribute to racism and racial inequalities, we are racist. So because I am a constitutionalist, because I'm a conservative, by their definition and what they consider to be contributing to racism, I am a racist. You see how they move the goalposts? So it's not enough to just not being racist, okay? You have to be anti-racist. So in order for me to not be a racist, it can't just be that I don't want harm or I believe all people should be treated the same. I must actively engage in their system to be anti-racist to actually not be a racist. It's crazy, I know, but let's keep going. If we push to dismantle racism and promote racial equity, we are anti-racist. The words are descriptive, not fixed. We can be a racist in one moment, anti-racist in the next, and racist once again. So then it's, you're never good enough. That's insane. So one minute I'm racist, one minute I'm not racist, one minute I'm anti-racist. But who sets the standard? Who sets the standard? See, this is why it's so important for all knowledge to be rooted in God. Because if your knowledge isn't rooted in God, it comes up with these vain and stupid ideologies that I'm racist one minute, I'm not racist, then I'm anti-racist, then I'm racist again. So I can fluctuate between being racist, anti-racist, not racist several times throughout an hour. But who determines this? I can continue. If we push to dismantle racism and promote racial equity, we are anti-racist. let me move down. I read that already. Anti-racism shifts our focus from the intent of our actions to the outcome. See, that's the thing about equity. So instead of fixing society from the ground up, that's the conservative model, right? We believe, I keep fixing my glasses, but we believe in fixing society from a ground up model that we build and strengthen the individual. So you strengthen the individual and then once you strengthen the individual, then necessarily the outcomes will be better. With the the Marxists have a top down approach and said we have must have this fixed outcome no matter how we manufacture no matter who we harm in the process no matter how much this violates human nature it doesn't matter we want the achieved outcome that's not the way it works even even in when you think of salvation you know even though our works don't save us but our works are evidence of our faith so it starts in our heart and my works are an outgrowing and outworking of my salvation. That is genuine than if someone says, if you don't read your Bible every day, I'm going to beat you up. Okay, is that sincere? Have I genuinely given my heart to Christ? No. If I read my Bible every day because I really love God and I really want to please him and I really want to serve him, or if somebody stands over me with a whip and says, if you don't read this Bible, I'm going to beat you up. Which one is what God wants? See what I mean? So which one is better for society that we close these disparages and these gaps that we see in society prominent in some demographics maybe not others is it is it better done by actually training and helping the individuals identifying the issues and not just chopping it up to racism and identifying what areas this individual can improve then that individual is stronger and therefore it's like a it's like a it's it's like seeds being spread because once you empower this individual to go out make good decisions and do well then necessarily it's going to bleed off to other people in their sphere of influence okay? um so again anti-racism shifts our focus from intent to our actions and the outcome of our actions whether we advance racial equity or uphold racial inequality it is not enough to to believe that being not racist will eliminate racism and racial inequalities instead we must work within ourselves our networks and our institutions to challenge racism with each decision we make the practice of anti-racism is everyone's ongoing work Really? So that's why you see women, somebody like this woman, uh, that quote I share from the, the woman, um, Brie Newsome. And again, I'm not trying to mock this woman or make an example of her by any means, but I'm just pointing to why these people are so obsessed because it must be interwoven in everything that you do. Anti-racism work must be interwoven in everything. Everything. One, identify racist policies, practices, and procedures and replace them with anti-racist policies, practices, and procedures. Well, some people believe, I'll give you a perfect example, problem with this whole anti-racism stuff. Some people believe that asking for identification before voting is racist. So a lot of these these super social justice warriors, a lot of the things they're calling is racist. (laughs) I mean, it's just crazy. So they basically want to do it wrong and just holler out racism, like with the voter situation. When people, as I said before, one of the most frustrating things in my life has been to witness voter fraud and have our local news media say nothing happened. And it's completely crazy. Then they go from, oh, it was widespread or it was none. Well, it was some, but it wasn't widespread. How do you know unless you investigate it? I digress. Okay, so when people complain that there needs to be an investigation because there's a lot of complaints. Oh, y'all just want to say black people can't count. I mean, that's just the dumbest thing in the world. So basically, if you're black, you can be a criminal. And if anybody investigates or looks into what you're doing that's improper, it's not because you've done something wrong. It's because they're a racist. See, this this stuff gives a cover for criminality because then what the left can do is when they want to engage in wide-scale wide scale crimes, they'll find black people to do their... They want to seek out black people to do their bidding. The way if a person gets exposed, they can just scream out racism. Anyways, so they have a lot of stuff. Or I've heard people try to justify abortion. Oh, abortion, abortion. If you're against abortion, it's just old white men trying to control women's bodies, just trying to harm women of color. If you don't support Medicaid for all, oh, what about black people? If you don't want to wear a mask for coronavirus, it's rooted in white supremacy, that you don't want to wear a mask because black people are disproportionately dying from COVID. Just, holy ghost, and caught my tongue because I was going to say something I shouldn't say. Okay, but get out of here. You know, it it couldn't be other factors involved. No, things like, for perfect example, I was reading about a study done in Spain that the the study concluded that people who had high levels of vitamin D, um, who had adequate amount of vitamin D, like over 80% of them fared well with their COVID symptoms. Well, black people are notoriously vitamin D deficient, especially those who are living in places like me, like Michigan, where really I need to be living somewhere hot and sunny, not somewhere where the sun doesn't shine very much for a, a, a nice 25% of the year. And so that has something to do with it. But again, if you don't wear I mean, those are factors that could something to logically consider. If it's vitamin D deficiencies and a group of people because we basically have this natural um, sun barrier or this barrier that prevents us from absorbing the amount of sun that we need. I mean, it's too much sun, shall I say. We're living in low sun areas. Maybe that could be I mean, a little connection there. Maybe the answer is, hey, let's up up vitamin D doses instead of saying people who don't want to comply with lockdowns or it's their racism and white supremacy because they don't care about people of color dying. I mean, just dumb stuff. So they've been, the left has been able to tie anything. I mean, they've tried to tie Christianity, logic, the two-parent family. I mean, all kind of stuff. So you're basically saying that logic is a tool of white supremacy. So basically, black people are stupid. We're stupid and we can't use logic. You, you see, it's really insulting. But they claim they're trying to uplift the black people and help the Negro. But really, they're disrespecting us and saying we're a bunch of dumb little babies. who We need everybody to hold our hand through life in order for us to function and do well. Instead of acknowledging, yes, the historical Racial violence and inadequacies that happened for hundreds of years impacted our culture greatly. Absolutely. And it created some bad habits. It created a lot of fear. It created a lot of problems. And that the way we improve the problems, one, rooted in Christ Jesus and seeing how we can uplift ourselves. And then when there are cases of racism, we deal with them accordingly, but not pushing this narrative that we must achieve equity by falsified mechanisms. And also that anybody and everybody who doesn't bow down to the leftist narrative is somehow Uh, supporting white supremacy because even capitalism is racist. Capitalism is a natural man's economy. If I sell uh, a bag of wheat to my neighbor, I keep my money, not having to give the governor 40%. So what are you talking about? But again, if you tie a bunch of stuff to white supremacy, if you tie a bunch of stuff to racism, then you can knock all these things that you don't like in one fell swoop under the guise of fighting racism. It also says, understand and own racist ideas in which have been socialized and racist biases and these ideas have created within each of us. Anti-racism is a practice and and people and institutions must continue to employ moment by moment to fight against the system of racism. Anti-racist policies create systems that center with lived experiences of Black, Indigenous and people of color, produce targeted strategies that account for the desperate harm caused these harm cause these communities and in the end improves outcomes for us all now again no one likes that there are inequalities in society i mean please don't misunderstand what i'm saying my point is that many of these people, and it sounds nice when they say it, but when you start reading the actual policy positions that they hold to achieve this equity, then it's like, this is communism. Like, this is not it. <laughs> this is not it. I mean, you think of Black Lives Matter, the 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 founder, one of the founders of Black Lives Matter said, we, I don't know, I'm not sure if all three of them, but two of the three at least are Marxists. So they're... Vision of doing anti-racism work involves in this self-flagellation of white people, you know, um, them all feeling horrible about themselves. And then if you're not white and you but you support a particular worldview, then you are also a racist and you need to engage in self-flagellation as well. Um, I mean, it's just it's, it's it's completely ridiculous. It's completely ridiculous. The thing about it is that we as a society have got to understand that there can be no unity with this type of worldview. I, I cannot unify with this. I will not unify with this. How do you cooperate with this? Because for them, unity means full submission because you get goodness. See, you're a bad person. You're a racist unless you engage in anti-racist work. And since many of these people on the left say white supremacy is the greatest threat to planet Earth, and since according to them, I'm a white supremacist, which means I'm a threat to planet Earth, what do we do with threats? We eliminate them. If you can't see the logical progression of this worldview, then you're falling asleep. Because many of these people in these think tanks, many of the people who are making public policy decisions, they hold onto this worldview. Now many of them don't believe it. It's just a cover for them to push Marxism. They just need the people on the ground to believe it. It's not necessary for them to believe it because all a lot of this stuff is coming from a lot of this stuff is these these anti racist works and, and Black Lives Matter, the global organization. A lot of it, they're getting tons of money out of Europe they are a lot of these the globalist movement was born out of europe don't get me into my speculations to why i think that is i think some lost powers just want to reclaim their power but i digress but my point is not to get too off topic um not to get too off topic because you know america did rise to power after world war ii and europe did kind of fall flat a little bit but you know i digress i digress um but what i am saying is this Is that you? You can't unite with this type of worldview because they 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 attack again. The scale of being anti being racist can be anybody according to their definition. And if you start peeling through these people's worldview, I would be considered a racist, even as a a black woman. I'm I'm considered a racist because I don't buy into their worldview. You see what I mean? So this is why you have like the other woman who found a way to make supporting or be happy for Tom Brady is rooted in racism. We have to acknowledge all these black people. It's like equity. So this man can't have his ten minutes of shine. We gotta bring in everybody else because it's not fair. He worked hard. Like, let the man have his moment. But again, these are the same people calling for unity. And if you don't buy into their false religion, it's because you're a racist. So there is no unity to be have with these people. The goal is cooperation. Now, the only way you can achieve cooperation is unless they're trying to compel you, is if they're not trying to compel you to do something. If they want to live within that world themselves, but then they want to dismantle institutions or change institutions that all of us use. So then, therefore, we have a problem. So therefore, there isn't even cooperation with these people. The only solution to this is the gospel. Because many of these people, their heart, I don't want to say their heart is in the right place because it's it's rooted in a vain humanist ideology. But their intentions based on their heart is good. Many of these people, and you may get mad at me saying they have good intentions. They're just confused because they don't understand. They're unable to see. Some of them are completely unwilling to see. I'm not talking about the ones who are unwilling or the, those who are using this for exploitative purposes. But those who genuinely want to fix some things we see in society, they fail to understand that all problems start with a human heart issue. So even in the cases where you have a racist individual, it still is a regenerate heart that causes them to behave in a negative manner to other people who do not look like them. Or if you have an individual who is making life decisions that are counterproductive to their long-term well-being, that still is an unregenerate heart. And, and, and oftentimes we have to understand that sometimes life just isn't fair. Okay, these are some 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 some. I like to look at the foundation of the worldview, not just what the person is hoping to achieve. And when you understand that the foundational issue of all things is society, the unregenerate heart, you're going to operate to fix these things from that perspective, which again, is that bottom-up. But when you see the fundamental problem of society is power, of power imbalances, then you're going to try the top-down approach, which necessarily involves robbing people of freedom. And I'm not unifying with that. I'm not. I'm not going to do that. Because again, as I told you before, this isn't just targeted to white people, right? Because they mentioned everybody, people of color, indigenous and black people, okay? Black and brown people, people of color, blah, 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 whatever. Because again, if you don't buy into this view, you can be a black person and a racist as well. Okay? So don't think like, this doesn't affect me because I'm a black person, so it doesn't matter. Um, this impacts everybody. Because the goal of communism is to enslave mankind. Not just a certain group of people. They just have useful pawns that they will use in order to achieve their agenda. And in America, if you go watch an episode of my podcast, Color of Communism and Common Sense, uh, the book by Manning Johnson. I have two, a two-part episode. Um, he talks about how the communists understood that in America, uh, class warfare was not going to be the ticket. It was going to be racial conflict. Racial conflict. But as I've said before in my episodes, these Marxists, globalist Marxists, really, America will never be a Marxist nation, will never be communist. What will happen in our world will be a technocracy, which I've talked about before and I won't get into today. But the technocrats, just these little Marxist communist people who think they're getting some salvation from this, they're using them to just help them in their path to power. You know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend type of thing. That's that's what's going on here. But we cannot allow these vain ideologies to take root in society because people will be serving a system that really is meant for their own demise. And it's an anti-biblical. It's just, it's false salvation. And then two people aren't really solving anything and are actually just bringing more tyranny in society. So no, I cannot unify with that. However, we should seek to achieve cooperation with people. But that starts with some foundational truth and considering in our nation that will have to be if we want cooperation first it needs to be the word of god but since making everyone a christian is going to be a bit of a task we try to bring it we can't make anybody a christian number one that's that's a personal choice they have to make but we at least have to agree on the constitution as being a starting point if we're going to cooperate in this pluralistic society where everyone doesn't believe that the bible is an inerrant infallible word of god but even then you have some issues so, how much cooperation, how much unity can we really achieve? My thought, is pes- I'm very pessimistic regarding that. And I don't think it's going to happen. I think it's only going to get worse because too many people have bought into these vain ideologies. So, we cooperate with whom we can. And then the rest, there's going to be pure, unadulterated division. It's not good, but it's reality. So, thank you for tuning in to It's Solid Food. You can check me out on all major podcast platforms. You can check out my website, ChristinaCaramo.com, YouTube at The Christina Caramo Project, Facebook The Christina Caramo Project, Instagram at Karamo the G R and the number eight. And yeah, Solid Food is on all major podcast platforms. That's it, so check out my show, check out my website, and remember to be brave and bold because the gospel of Jesus Christ must be told. Toodles.